and welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 8510, Rillington Place from 1971. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times when we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host as always, Hugh Lloyd. And again, welcome, and thank you for listening. As always, thank you so much. We've got a cracking show lined up for you today, and we've got a very, very special guest making his debut on the Undead Wookiee. Now, before I introduce my fantabulous guest, let's check out the trailer for 10 Rillington Place. This is the number one court at London's Old Bailey. The case being tried here influenced the hanging laws of England. Timothy John Evans, the court has found you guilty of willful murder. And the sentence of the court... But what happens when you hang the wrong man on the evidence of a smooth-tongued liar whose pathological lust to kill shocked the world? suffer death by hanging. Hanging. His name, John Christie. His address, 10 Rillington Place, London. West 11. Breathe. No, no, no. Breathe, Muriel. No. Take a deep breath and remember that what you see here really happened is factually based on official documents. You might well say, there, but for the grace of God, go I. We advise you to look at Christie closely. Very, very closely. For he lives again in the person of Richard Attenborough. Beryl! Another of his victims. Judy Jason takes you into this little back room and you gasp for breath right alongside her. This was the beginning of this man's end. You knew all about it, didn't you? Of course I knew about it. You're an accessory before the act. I done nothing. Oh, God, I done nothing. Simple. Innocent, bragging, Timothy John Evans, hanging. If ever an actor was born to step into a dead man's shoes, his name, John Hurt. If you don't know how to write your name, just put a cross. Get Christie. Get him here to see me. He's the only one who can help me now. If you saw him walking in the street, would you give him a second glance? Yet this man, Christie, killed. Not once, nor twice, neither three times, nor four times, but five, six, and seven times did he kill. It all happened here, at 10 Rillington Place. Fantastic. Incredible. But true. Christie done it. Christie done it. Christie done it. 
And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by my very, very special guest. I'm so excited to have him on. I, uh, I honestly, I can't, I can't wait to get started on this. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together, stamp your feet, and make an awful lot of noise for the one, the only, the fantastic Bill Van Vegel. Bill, welcome to the show. Welcome. It's great to be on the other side of the pond, even though I'm on this side. But I feel like <laughs> I am. It's like we're I've in the got... same room. We're in the same synchronicity. We're we're, we're right there together. Yes. I've got Irish roots in my family. I've got Scottish roots in my family. So it's kind of like I haven't quite got some Welsh, but you know what? A good fry up solves everything. Yeah, so we're it, all going to be together. Or a good pint of Albright. A good, good pint, pint, pint of Albright that solves anything. I've always wanted to have some of Betty's hot pots, so maybe I can come over there and have some of those. Well, bet that's Lancashire. That's up north. That's up north. That is. That's Manchester. <laughs> yeah, right, nah, kids. That's up there. Alrighty. I've Let's already alienated all the northern side and any northerners listeners by doing my terrible northern accent. Now, we are talking today about a phenomenal film. Uh, we are talking about 10 uh, Rillington Place or Rillington or Rillington as we sort of we had a quick little dis- discuss discussion before. But hey, whatever comes out, comes out. Um, yeah, this is just one of those films where I went back and sort of I remember watching it when I was about 17, 18 and sort of just being blown away by it when I watched it. I'm watching it, re-watching it again this weekend and then again today. Um, seeing Richard Attenborough, everybody's favourite grand, cinematic grandfather playing uh, a sexual serial killer. It just it blew my mind. Blew my mind. I, I absolutely love this film. This is one of those films that when people ask, what is one of your underseen gems? What is one of those ones people don't talk about? Yeah. I will stomp on the table for this film. I yeah. will. You, know, you can argue it's not a pure horror film. You could argue that it's more of a reality film. I don't bloody well care what you call it. I absolutely love and adore this film. And it's weird to say you adore a film about a creepy killer of women. Yeah. But I... <laughs> You know, like it's it's kind of like you get those secondary looks like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. But I absolutely think this is one of those films that if you're a cinephile, if you like crime films, if you goddamn well just like good acting. Yes. You want to watch this film. And to, and everybody knows Richard Attenborough. Most kids these days know him from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. But, but if, you, if you appreciate John Hurt. Oh. Yes, absolutely. I think this is his best role. I don't care. He's been in a lot. I love him as the kind of dim-witted, slow Timothy yeah. Evans. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first time I heard his Welsh accent when he came on, uh, when he makes his entrance as Timothy Evans, it, it it did sort of veer into the, the the sort of the stereotypical. Oh, hello there. How are you doing? I am performing a Welsh accent, and I will talk to you like this. Um, and of course, the original Timothy Evans, as we were talking, was is uh, from the, the very, very similar area from myself. Because of course, the character Timothy Evans. Obviously, this is based on a true story. Unfortunately, the the, the, the real life Timothy Evans was sadly hanged for um, two crimes that he didn't commit. Um, and he came from uh, Merthyr Tydfil, or more accurately, Merthyr Vale, where they filmed some of this. And we'll touch on that later. Um, but yeah, he, he's superb in it. John Hurt is absolutely superb. So I kind of forgive him a couple ropey lines in his Welsh accent. Um, <laughs> the the uh, the voiceover or the the voice coach can only do so much, you know. Yeah, and I you know I, I mean the one thing with John Hurt is that face. Um, 
is the expression of just absolute loss and sadness that he is able to sort of convey. And I mean, is... we're going to get it. We're going to get into it a bit more later, but he can make you believe just with his facial expressions. His body will tell you what he's thinking before he says it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that is the that is the mark of a true screen actor. Um, and it's the same for, you know, for Richard, for, you know, for, for Sir Richard Attenborough. Um, Sir. You know, he, he is, he's, you know, he is phenomenal as Chris. And uh, written, uh, Attenborough, he's still alive, isn't he? No, he passed away. Oh, did he pass? Yeah, he passed away in, I want to say 2014. Okay, he so within the last He passed away in 2014, while. yeah. I mean, he is, um, you know, I think. Was it 2014 or was it 2008? Yeah, 2014. And of course, John Hurt is sadly no longer with us. Yeah, he passed what 2017. 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's Ju- uh, Judy Geeson. Judy Geeson's still alive. Yes, she is. She's still with us. She's still acting. She's yeah, still, she's yeah, still. She's still I, I see. Active. She's still got productions pending right now. Yeah, yeah. She's um, she's, she's done an incredible amount. Um, and of course, the director John Fleischer. Now, John Fleischer is a really interesting dude, and his his filmography is insane. Is it John or is it Richard? Oh, Richard. Sorry, I don't know why I'm saying John yeah. Fleischer. Uh, Richard yeah, Fleischer. Yeah, it's because I said John Hurst. Richard Fleischer. His um, his is insane. It's yeah. I looked. I, I, I looked over. I looked over his IMDb, and like I knew one or two of them, but wow. Yeah. Like, like wow, and why is this guy not talked in the same breadth of some of the other directors? Because well, his his body of work is wow. I mean, you, you know, let, you know, sort of. Um, we'll we'll come on to John Fleischer now, but for those of you who don't know uh, the story of Ten Rillington Place, it is the story of serial killer uh, John Christie who committed um, his crimes in um, an area of London uh, where he murdered. Um, I off the top of my head, I think it is seven, six, seven, seven women, seven. Uh, seven women, including in, including a small child. Um, and in amongst that, um, there was he, he was he cunningly framed Timothy Evans for the murder of his wife and baby. Um, and the, this is the the the, te, the film Ten Rillington Place is um, the what's the best way to describe it. There was an. It's 1971. This was released. And... I was going to say, let's set the stage. This is 1949. London. Yes. So it's just past World War Two. Yes. Uh, the women have lost many of their men and boyfriends to the war. Yeah. There's a bit of an em- economically depressed time because you know people are trying to get back on their feet. The country's starting to get going, and it's in the area of uh, Notting Hill, but kind of in a lesser area called yeah. Wellington Place, yes. where they had the row houses and the and the flat rentals and things and people this area was actually even considered a slum by the police. Yeah. People were packed in and low income and yeah. you'd have families and older people that were just there. And all of a sudden some women started to disappear. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and sadly, and um, in that area of London, lots of people would regularly disappear. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it was an area with high prostitution rates. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure drugging and the pubs with the alcoholics and things. So people going missing probably was not as odd an occurrence as you may think. No, no. Um, and it's something that's not really talked about, actually. Everybody talks about sort of uh, the great British spirit after the Second World War. But there was this considerable period of recession uh, for a long, long time. And I mean, rationing didn't really finish. 
um, after the world, you know, after the Second World War. He was there for you know for a significant amount of time afterwards. So you know, in these these areas, these hard hit urban areas, um, people going missing was was a fairly regular occurrence. And sadly, um, you know, this is where Christie was able to play his, you know, to to, to murder these women. And this film. Because um, there's been a number of adaptions of the, uh, you know, of the story. Um, there's a fantastic BBC adaption with Tim Roth, um, which is super. Which is again, Tim Roth is absolutely superb. And but that one's a multi-parter, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a mini series. It's like yep. a mini mini series is superb. But this one is based on uh, Ludwig Kennedy's book, um, and it follows the story. Um, very closely there's alterations to it there's some there's some things moved around uh i i I wrote down at the beginning of the film it says this is a true story whenever possible the dialogue has been based on official documents yeah so i mean you can take that with a bit of a grain of salt a lot of films say that but i do think they tried to get the true spirit of what happened in this film and i think they nail it um and this of course was this was directed by richard fleischer as we've already said uh, it was produced by Martin Ranishoff and Leslie Linder, uh, based on the Ludwig Kennedy book. Um, the screenplay was by Clive Exton. Um, it stars Sir Richard Attenborough, uh, Judy Geeson, uh, John Hurt, Pat Hayward, um, and the cinematographer, who I think really needs to be gets get, needs to be given quite a bit of credit for this, um, is Dennis Coop. Um, it was released in 1971, and uh, January the 28th. Um, and I mean, it's an hour and hour and fifty. I think it's an hour and fifty. Yeah, an hour, an hour fifty-one. It's not quite so long, but it's long enough that it gives the detail what it needs. Yeah, and this is, it is a gritty film. It is a gritty f- film, and one of the things that really, really struck me about this was the lack of sound, other than everyday sound. I was going to say, I, I wrote down atmospheric. Yes. The use of shadows. Mm. I think that what they, people would call, it was a, an everyday people. It was sounds. It was shadows. It was very normal looking people. It was very, what would, what do the British say? Frumpy? Yes. Frumpy people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think one of the, actually, one of the things that um, one of the critics at the time of its release talked about um, was that, people may look at this film um, and sort of think, actually, there's not a lot going on here because the characters themselves are not your larger-than-life characters. These are very, very ordinary people, with the exception that, you know, Christie is a serial killer. And for me, that is where the true horror in this film lies. Because for me, this is, you know, this is a horror because the, the horror lies in the everyday of it. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of films of, of, about the fantastic. But yes. this is your everyday pub-going folk, uh, uh, you know, menial working job folk, yeah. prostitutes, yeah. low yeah. income. This is the stuff that every major city has, but is kind of shoved under the rug. Yeah. This really brought it to the forefront. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it has, at times... Um, almost like a documentarian feel to it. There's yep. the camera, you know. There's very much that handheld camera feel to it, particularly when they're inside the house and the movement around that house. Um, and like the the lighting is almost 
is almost very natural lighting used in it. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, lighting was, you know, your super strong exposing a light, you know, soft, soft white film because it was very shadowy. You go up the stairs, you go into these little rooms and these crevices and it looks like my basement, you know, when your light bulb is gone out. Yeah. It literally (laughs) looks just like it, you know. I mean, you know, you know, the actual mise-en-scene for this film is, you know, when you look at the light in the props, it feels depressed it feels gray it feels dirty it feels it, it feels real and that for that time period um and i think john hurt's character um as the sort of illiterate timothy evans um kind of he's just so it's just so sad and so sort of sallow looking as well adds to that adds to the whole sort of you know the, the sort of the bleakness of it and what i found interesting is when you watch the film right at the beginning when the nameplate comes up it's john hurt in yes 10 rillington place yeah so john hurt's name and even though he had only been an actor for eight to ten years yeah his name came above above attenborough's yeah yeah it, it was it was the lead in yeah. And to think a man in his, I think at the time he was in his mid-20s in terms of the character. Yes. To be a full working successful man who can't bloody well read. Yeah. How do you survive in a world where you, and it seemed like later when we get into it, the police are saying, you know, if you know, if you don't know how to say your name, just put a cross. Yeah. Like it's just, almost an accepted part of society back yeah. then. Yeah. And was I mean. A, a certain segment that can't read. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And. You know, he he is a Welshman in London um, who comes from the South Wales Valleys. And he, you know, he's uneducated. He is illiterate. Um, he's clearly a fan- fantasist. Yep. Um, and he doesn't seem, you know, as we'd say, he doesn't seem all there. Um, yeah. He's very, very uh, got that uh, feeling of grandeur, even though he really doesn't have it. Yeah, absolutely. And he sort of, there's the, the, the touch of the Walter Mitty about him. You know, yeah. you know, he, he, you know, he talks about his father being a count and coming from money when the truth is, you know, there was none of these things. Well, when he tells the story sitting at the pub bragging with the boys that he has three women waiting in bed for him. Yes. And they're all like, and the one guy goes, you know what? You can have mine. Make it four. Yeah. <laughs> you can have the full set. Yeah. And, you know, it's clearly he's, he's just this really sad, sad character who is desperate to sort of be more than he actually is. Um, but in, in reality, he seems like he knows his lot in life. Oh, absolutely. And I, I know I know I'm a middle man at best. Yeah. I know that I've got this family coming, but with the boys, I'm, you know, I'm the higher uh, hierarchy person than I really am. And even when he goes back to Wales um, and he goes to his auntie and uncle's house um, and he says about the car, or oh, they were in Cardiff, which is the capital of Wales, um, for those uh, who are not listening in Wales. Um said, so, oh, the car broke down and we were looking for, you know, we were looking for new branches and this kind of, and it's just, it's really sad that he, you know, this is somebody who is, a, you know, at best a manual worker and he's living, he's trying to sort of get his family to buy into the fantasy. Which is, which is an irony compared to John Christie because I was talking ahead with you and we we're talking about yeah. the documentary by Fred Dynage. Yes. And Fred Dynage gets really right into it. And one of the things that they found out is, uh, John Christie, John Reginald Christie had an IQ of 120. 
Yeah. He was a very intelligent man. So it's almost like in our parlance, the principal with the kid, there's a intellectual difference oh, yeah. that he really takes advantage of. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, in so many ways, when you look at like um, Christie, he ticks so many other boxes for somebody who would, you know, they described him as having a personality disorder, but somebody of being a psychopath that sort of superficially charming um, yep. is able to sort of lure, lure people in. Um, he, you know, incredibly intelligent, you know, that 120 IQ. Um, one of the things they talk about in some of like the, um, the biographies of Christie is about his, how brilliant he was at maths and algebra. Um, and he, he never really achieves much. He, you know, he becomes a petty criminal. Um, he's in and out of prison. Um, there's that great, I mean, but, great scene but the in thing the course. Is, he's able to. He's always able to slip in and get a job, though. Mm. Like he got a job growing up in the post office. Yes. So what does he do? He steals postal orders and gets thrown back in the slammer. Yeah. Like he, he's smart, but he's stupid. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that Attenborough brings to it um, is that very, very soft, quiet spoken whisper of a voice and christy they talked about he and he mentions it in the in the scene the scene in court um that he was um he was he fought in the first world war and he was attacked he, he was uh part or he'd been wounded twice uh with uh with a gas attack and that it had damaged his voice well actually it hadn't damaged his voice at all um it was a psychological wound um that he'd suffered um, and when he talks in court about being mute and blind, that never happened. It was it, it's something that he made up, and the softly spoken voice just adds to that all round eeriness, that creepiness that he brings to it. I I, I tell you that voice of his, that low talk, it's haunting. Oh. It is absolutely that when you're talking uh, the gold standard of unassuming serial killers. This is the one I bring up all the time because he looks like he could be he could be your uncle. Yeah, he absolutely. could be he he could be a shopping mall Santa if he had a bigger beard. Yeah, like he he's that creepy uncle you don't know what's wrong with, but give me your son, let's get some candy. Yeah. Like he's that kind of guy. You know that he's armed to the teeth with a Werther's original. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's got the he's got the caramels in his pocket. Yes, you know? like, what this guy's got. You know. Yeah, and but like, I want to. I was going to say I want to get into the the cast because. One thing I don't think you realize is how strong the cast is and oh, yeah. where they came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like Richard Fleischer, among the things he's done is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, oh. The Vikings, Compulsion, Fantastic yeah. Voyage, The Boston Strangler, yeah. Tora, 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 yeah. Soylent Green, oh. and, then he does, and then he does The Jazz Singer yes. with Neil Diamond. And then he goes back to do Amityville 3D and Conan the Destroyer. And Red Sonja. Like, and Red Sonja, yeah. he's all over. How do you go from Barbara Streisand in Neil Diamonds to <laughs> I, to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Dungarees? How yeah. do you do that? You know, <laughs> but he's able to pull it off. Do you know what? The Vikings is one of my all-time favorites. It's a proper Saturday Sunday, you know, Sunday movie, Sunday afternoon put, matinee movie. Put it on. Great. Put it on Saturday in the afternoon after yeah. you've had cornflakes and just yeah. you know. Great film, but, Great but then film. like written Attenborough, Richard uh, Richard Attenborough, he did Dunkirk, oh. he was in The Great Escape, 
Yeah. He was in Ten Little Indians, A Bridge Too Far. Yeah. Most kids today know him from Jurassic Park. And then he goes from uh, uh, some of his gritty films to his Santa Claus and A Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like let's not forget, he directed Gandhi. And the Gandhi, yeah. And Chaplin. And then you get John Hurt to The Elephant Man, Mid- Midnight Express, Alien as a yeah. horror guy. That's what I first think of him as, yeah. Alien. But he was also in an earlier interpretation. It might have been a BBC of A Man for All Seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was in the Peter Cushing film The Ghoul. Yeah. And then you see him in the late 80s in John Goodman with King Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he's in Hellboy, one yeah. and two. Yeah, and like, I mean, this is a guy, incredible. People would also, you know, one of the things he also played, he played Caligula in I Claudius for the BBC with Ian, um, uh, or, uh, or one of the Hobbits, oh. um, Ian, Ian Hobbit. in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Ah, Frodo's, uh, Frodo's uncle. Um, Passed away. Oh God, what was his name? Christopher Lee. No, 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 Christopher Lee. Um, oh my God, I want to say it's Ian Home. Ian Home. Ian Home. Oh, Ian Home. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, you know, he played, um, he played Caligula. You know, to Ian Holmes. Um, yeah, yeah, it is Ian Home. Yeah, Ian Home. Because they, the British actors after a certain age, they all merge. They all meld. They together. all meld into one big sort of, you know. But I mean, you got Judy Geeson, who was in, I just saw not that long ago, in Inseminoid. She was, that's a, that's a real, uh, don't watch that with your grandma kind of film. Yeah. Uh, But she, but also you forget she was in To Sir With Love. Yes. And and then she was in The Lords of Salem and she was in 31 with Rob Zombie. Yeah, that is, you know, that is a career jump, mind you, isn't it? It is. And then I, I went even deeper. And one of the characters, Isabel, the actress, Isabel Black, who was the friend and nanny who gets kind of tossed around by John Hurt at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. She was in Twins of Evil. Great film. Great, Great hammer film. film. And one of the later characters, the smaller characters, Phyllis McMahon, uh, I think she was the first abortion victim, was in Shaun of the Dead. Of course she was. Of course she oh, was. Of course she was. Like, like it's almost like there's a, a circle or a net of all British character actors, and they kind of pull them out when they need them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's like it's it's like, come on, darling, we need you to do this. You know. Oh yeah. What's my role? Well, you're going to be a serial killer today. Okay, darling. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? <laughs> and, then, and there was another actress who was a minor character called Mrs. Lynch. Derek her, Jacobi. Uh, her... Sorry, Derek Jacobi. So, yeah. It wasn't Ian Hobie. It was Derek. Derek fucking Jacobi. <laughs> there we are. Sorry. There was one yeah. actress called Gabrielle Day who yeah. played a character called Mrs. Lynch. She was in Bless Me Father, Coronation Street, and a show I don't know, but it was on for a long time called Crown's Court yeah, in okay. England. Yeah, never heard, never heard of Crown's Court. However, if also if you go further on uh, down the list, when we get to the ending of this film um, and you get the two um, West Indian guys moving into the house. Yes. And one of the actors on there um he's in this country he's a long he's been in one you know one of the long he's been in east enders one of the long oh, really? longest running soaps in history he's been yeah. he was a long character but it was one of his very early and, roles in and, that and i have i have no doubt that if you look into the actors that played the medical review board those three older gentlemen i have no doubt they're old british stage actors oh absolutely uh, i mean there was edward burnham in there um and he has been in oh, I mean, he died in 2015, but again, I think he's, you know, Doctor Who. Um, he was in Little Dorrit. He was in Quite a Mass in the Pit. 
Um, he was to Sir with Love. I mean, you name it, he has been. I, I, in I it. mean, I think I think Richard Fleischer gave the British uh, acting studio or the British uh, Union Actors Union and said, "Okay, we need ten actors or actresses that fit." criteria xyz yeah let's get them please <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the one thing that i love about um one of the other things that i love about this film I, and it's actually one of the really saddest ironies of this film is both timothy evans and john christie were hung by the same guy they were hung by albert pierpoint albert pierpoint also worked on this film um, as an advisor um, to make sure that they got the hanging scenes right. So the man who hung both Christie and Timothy Evans worked on this film to make sure that they, the level of authenticity to the hanging scenes were, were, were accurate. Yeah, he was, and so was the uh, writer of the book, uh, Ludwig Kennedy, yeah. is that his name? He was also an advisor. And I think Kennedy took his information almost from the direct documents. Yes, yes. So I'm sure between the two of them, and I mean, knowing Attenborough, he probably had OCD to the highest, and everything would have had to have been perfect. Yes, yeah. And I mean, what I love about Attenborough's performance is it's never, it's never stagey. It's never, it's, it's, it's never over the top. Whereas, you know, you he could have made Christie very, very over the top. Um, but he never yep. does that. There is very, very about fact. Yes. And even that opening scene where the woman goes to see him for a treatment. And while she doesn't yes. know that what treatment she's going to be getting, really. Um, and she knocks and it's pretty much it's and obviously it's during the war. So it's a blackout. So it's during the blackout, during the blitz. And you don't really see him. And she rings the doorbell and then the curtain opens and you just see like the corner of his face appearing in the curtain uh, in the window. And then there's total darkness. And then he lights the lamp inside the house and he, he sort of, you see who he is. And automatically you think this girl is, this woman is in a lot of trouble straight away. Well, it's funny. I, I wrote down in my notes, I said, is everything done in England over a cup of tea? Oh, God, she's yeah. About to, she's about to have her abortion. Let's calm her down with a cup of tea. Yes. He's, well, talking, with, he's talking with Beryl. Let's do it over a cup of tea. Yes. He's about to take her dress off. Let's do it over a cup Holy jeez, like, I know I understand the social significance of tea, but everything is done over a cup of tea. Well, Bill, what was the first thing that I said to you I was doing before we were just, before we started recording? You're having a cup of I'm, tea. I'm, I'm just getting the kettle on, I'm bringing a cup of up. Everything, everything. <laughs> everything stops for a cup of tea. I'm not doing anything until I've had tea. Like, I get the, the two o'clock, okay, you have your cup of tea. And I like a good green tea. I, I love a good cup of tea. I have no qualms with tea. But it's like... You know, instead of giving a kid a candy for the adults, it's let's just have a cup of tea. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's tea. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I was going to say the one thing about this film is it's it's dark. Yes. It's gloomy. And especially with the UK going now into lockdown mode, it might not be the best film to watch if you're having mental issues, if you're having, uh, you know, kind of shudder in. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, we had... Um, me and Leighton uh, recorded an episode of What Not to Watch in Lockdown when it all first started. And this, yeah. somehow we over, again, we overlooked this one. This certainly is not a feel-good film. This no. is not, a, this is, like I said, it's dirty, it's claustrophobic, um, 
it doesn't end well for anyone anyone in this like like honestly it's depressing as fuck yes but if but if you really like a well-made well-shot detail-oriented film that i will argue is the gold standard of reality-based crime films yes please please watch this film and i think this is one of those great examples of where true crime and horror merge if you did a Venn diagram of, um, I love a Venn diagram. I just, <laughs> out of all the diagrams out of that, I love a it Venn wor- diagram. It works in science. It works in math. It works yes. in film. Yes, absolutely. Or a good pie chart. <laughs> Which pie, I love a good pie chart. <laughs> but if you do a Venn diagram of of like true crime and horror, the the two cross over massively because in so many ways, I mean. You could possibly even look at this from the point of view of in the greatest gothic tradition of the creepy old house. And, um, Ed, you know, if you, if you think about like Edgar Allan Poe and the Telltale Heart, that, that crossover with that murder taking place in the house. And even it Poe, to- the, yeah. It almost has the feel of a modern hammer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it does sort of, you know, you, you can sort of feel. You can feel that sort of the sort of the gothicness of it, um, especially all the steps up the up to the second and third levels, and you have to go up the yeah. stairwell, and like that's very yeah. much, you know, a, a Hammer film going up the long and winding, you know, and railway. The lamps or being lit, uh, yeah. you know, it's just, and the one thing that it sort of um, that that really really hit me. Was we because obviously this is a true story. You know that his wife was going to be murdered. You knew at some point he was going to murder his wife. But at no point are the murders done in any kind of salacious kind of way. But that scene where his wife is sleep has taken to sleep and in the living room away from him, and he opens up the medicine cabinet and he sees the rope in the cabinet, and then. You can almost see him toying. Um, should I do it now? Should I do it later? And then he takes the rope. And then before, and then the next scene, the floorboards in the house are up, and his wife is wrapped in a sheet on the floor next to him. It's, yeah, it's it's so matter of fact. But I wrote down here. I said there's always a moment before he performs uh, the, the abortion or he kills that he looks himself in the mirror and there's that one instant that second where he goes should I or shouldn't I yes but he always goes ahead and does it yes even so, so know, he's very self-aware he may pretend and he may have used the defense of insanity but he is very self-aware of what he's doing oh absolutely and even the fact that he is going to murder this woman that he has taken into his trust that he says to her, oh, look, I was I trained to be a doctor. And that scene where he shows um, the illiterate John Hurt a medical book or a so-called medical book, and it's actually a St. John the Ambulance first aid guide. Um, is and the- and he, he would have known that Hurt was not able to read. Yeah, oh, God. So he, would have, he could have shown him a, a nudie book. He wouldn't have known the difference oh, because... No. He couldn't read it. It could have been Edgar Allan Poe. You know, it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. And that scene then where um, the builders arrive. The builders arrive to do some work on the house. And it's... But yet he still goes ahead with the murder. 
and the person, you know, the, the girl's friend arrives, you know, in the middle of it all. And he's still carrying, you know, it's, it's you know, it, he's in the middle of the act. But it's, that scene of him when the friend shows up and he is flush against the door. Yes. You can see the sweat rolling off his forehead. Yes. I almost wonder if Kubrick took notes because it's not that far off The Shining. No, no, it's when, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so you're sitting there going, uh, Kubrick's not a stupid man. He kind of took some notes. Yeah. But what I like about this film is you know that it was a major production, but it had the feel of a low-budget film. Yes, absolutely. It really did, and that really worked for it. Uh, yeah, and you, you can see it's it, it's almost like a play in a lot. Yeah. Of, you know, it's very, very contained universe, um, with the exception of where Timothy Evans, fly, you know, he gets on the train and goes back to Merthyr. Um, and then you get the scenes in the court or the scenes where, you know, but everything is very, very contained, very contained. Like, I really like a film that's like a one room film where everything has to happen like a saw kind of deal where it's all in one or you're in a warehouse and you know, somebody's in there. This is very much of that ilk. Yes. As you said, other than him going off or the occasional scene at the police station. Yes. It's almost always in that one. And and it's not a glamorized. It's dirty. You can see peeling paint. Yeah. You can see wallpaper that's been there since before the Blitz. Like it's been there probably since Queen Vicky was up there. Yeah. Like it's been there forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if, if you come if you come into this film and you were expecting blood, guts and gore and some kind of salacious slasher movie, you you were going to be very very much disappointed, um, but this film it, it, it hits like a sledgehammer at times with the you know the murder of Geraldine, um, the baby. Oh. Oh. It's just they, oh, they, it, they, they 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 don't show it, but as a parent or as a human being, you're almost in tears and you don't see a damn thing. Yes. Because you know what he's done. Yes. And you're like, how can a man in his late 50s strangle an 18-month-old child? Yeah. Like, like it's heart-wrenching. Yeah. And it and the way in which then the bodies are just, just wrapped up and taken away. And like when Christie's wife is sat there and listening to him drag the bodies down the stairs and at one point she helps them yeah absolutely absolutely and you just think even but then even when she is murdered herself you don't actually think she's getting it you know it doesn't feel like the villain somebody a villain is getting their comeuppance this is somebody who was just caught in a horrific horrific situation and just clearly does not know what to do with themselves in a way, this parallels a movie that I watched Friday night with my wife. I was very proud of her. We sat and we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> right. The original. Yes. But in in a sense, they're somewhat similar because most of it isn't seen. No. It lets your imagination do more horror to you than anything that's shown oh. on the screen. And you could argue either film, like with Texas Chainsaw, Toby Hooper was really mad he didn't get a PG rating. Because you don't see much blood. There's no swearing. There's no nudity. No. It's almost the imagine. And this one, I would be shocked if this got a rated R. Because you don't see much of anything. No, no. Other than what's hinted at or what's alluded to. The inferencing is stronger than the physical act. Yeah, I mean, even the scenes where he is gassing the women. um, And 
you never actually see him finishing the job. No. You never Other than, f- I think there's one girl, get, yeah, I think you see the strangle, do you not? But no, you see the cord, and then oh, he moves yes. down, and that's it. Yeah. And, and, and I wrote this down, it was funny, as it was going... For those that are listening, what he did is he he made them uh, he made the women inhale from a vapor box. Yes. To, to get the you know so you think it's gonna knock you out and all of a sudden by the time they realize it's too late. Now I don't know if it's just me. Was the breathing in the vapor box similar to Darth Vader? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I wonder if Lucas was paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old Darth had a bit of a bronchial uh, infection going on. He just needed to open up those uh, sinuses. That's it. I still love the story, mind you, about uh, Dave Prowse, who is the guy inside the Darth Vader suit. Yeah. Um, and Dave Prowse, of course, would, you know, he, he was in a number of Hammer films. Um, you know, he famously played, the, you know, pretty much, you know, every monster. He played the, the, the Frankenstein monster in one of the. Yeah, the yeah, in, uh, yeah, in uh, Monster from, uh, Frankenstein, yep. uh, Monster from Hell. Um, yeah. But the great thing about Dave Prowse, he's, free, you know, he. He had a proper sort of West Country accent, so you know you you get you see Darth Vader and you hear James Earl Jones, so you've got this beautifully eloquent, deep baritone voice going on, and then if originally you, on set you would have, you know, Dave Prowse saying the lines going, "All right, there, my lover, I'm your father." <laughs> So a little a little bit of editing was in was in order. Yes, yes, and I think and they didn't tell him that the you know the the legend has it that they didn't tell him that they were going to edit his voice out. Um, so 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 he's bringing his family to the cinema yeah. and he's all excited and hey dad that's not you yeah that could mean anyone in that suit. Um, but the, another thing I made note of there's the one scene where Timothy Evans is sitting in the cafe and he's having his coffee and he's overlooking the cop shop, the yes. police station over yes. And then you, then you see the close up go. It goes from a long shot yeah. to the close up of his face. Yes. And at that point he knows the gig is up. I, yeah. my, my conscience is getting the best of me. Yes. I got to do the right thing. But the, the dichotomy between the long shot to the close up face and you see the, the peril in his eyes, like, I know I need to do this. I think I'm going to do this. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's chilling. Like it's not just Christie that's chilling. I think John Hurt gets that down pretty well. Absolutely. And, and it's chilling from the, from what you see and you don't see this an awful lot is that you get to see the impact of death and of murder and consequence of actions. And in that scene where that camera moves in and, 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 you know, which I think in so many ways, you think about, like, people talk about Howard Hawks and the number of different films, you know, type of the, you know, the auteur that is Howard Hawks. I think Fleischer, you know, could easily be held up within the same kind of regards, to the, you know, for the different, you know, for the number of different films that he made. And there is, oh, you know, even from the Vikings, the, that, that great scene where you get, like, uh, Kirk Douglas running across the oars. And the the fantastic, you know, that, that's a brilliant scene. It's about as historically accurate as an episode of a Pompeii. But he, in this scene with John Hurt, where that camera moves in, you see the brokenness. You see the brokenness of a man who realizes, I've run out of my family. I've left, and he, you know, at this point, he doesn't know his daughter's dead. Yeah, but you also see the eyes, his desperation when he's in court. 
Oh. And and he's and he's you know he's giving his testimony and he's, and he's pleading. He's like, "It's Christy. Yeah. It wasn't me. I didn't do." And yeah. you can see the veins popping. Yes. And yes. under around his pupils, and the court just wants no part of it. It's like that very British state. Okay, sir. Now say the next point. Like yeah. people aren't buying in, and he's yeah. literally pleading for his life, and nobody's hearing it. And that 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 moment. And I actually said this aloud when I was watching this afternoon. I just sort of, you know, where. Tim, you know, when Timothy Evans is taken down, when the black cap, when the black cloth is put on the judge's head. I mean, talk about a piece of theatre in terms of um, people talk about sort of you know the stiff upper lip and what have you. But the British judicial system is nothing but pomp and circumstance from everybody being gowned and wigged up. And they're, you know, they're up on, you know, they're up upon that stage. The judge is there and then they put the black cloth on his head to, you know, to give the death sentence. Um, and then Christie starts crying. And yeah. Now it, I wonder: is it was he relieved, or was that his subconscious? Well, it's crocodile uh, tears, guilt. isn't it? I mean, it's a class, yeah. it's, it's it's a thing that um, lots of people who have uh, committed horrific crimes, who've sort of put themselves into the case, do. Um, you think you know? There's a there's a great series called um, just about it, and it shows the number of like killers who go on television and say about um you know oh i did you know you help come home we know you're missing and christy does the same thing and i actually went bastard i actually swore out like <laughs> you bastard as he was being taken down you know that 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 moment where you know these crocodile tears are pouring out and it's all about him it's the attention being brought back on him yeah. And it's interesting, though, that the fact that if they're using legal documents or actual documentation, yeah. that kind of thing from a non-member of the uh, prosecution or whatever probably wouldn't be documented because it's ancillary to what happened. Yes. But the fact that that was remembered means that somebody thought, mm, this might be important to take note of. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that sort of, you know, and even when he's on the stand, the defense... You know, Timothy Evans' defense is saying, well, are you a man of good character? And he's like, oh, well, and then they go through his criminal charges. Yeah. And, and some of them, he can't, he can't dispute them. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. 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 It, it, and, he, and he does. And, but yet the judge gives him a seat to sit down for his barred back. And... And we never do find out why he has a bad back, do we? No, no. And again, I think one, when one of the like looking at some of the like the, you know, the articles written about Christie and this is that he would fake a lot of illness to gain sympathy. Okay. Um, and again, that's something that he would, you know, the judge gave him a seat to sit down. And even the judge, I think the judge had pretty much convicted Timothy Evans before the start of anything, and the jury in the actual case took forty minutes. That's. I mean, you barely have enough time to go to the washroom, wash your hands, and get guilty. Yeah, I mean, I I had the the sort of. It's a bizarre thing. Have you ever done jury service? I've tried a couple. I've been called a couple times, and I've actually been called up, but they always dismiss me. Cause they, they, around here, they don't like teachers as jurors because we're too introspective. Ah, it's interesting. I mean, I got. I did. I had the case that I was on was on for two weeks. Okay. Um. And it's fascinating. And we spent pretty much almost like a week debating about this person. Um, but to spend 40 minutes in a room 
when somebody's life is hanging in the balance is just it, it is it's, mind-blowing is mind-blowing i mean it would take half an hour just to reenact any one of the murder scenes right oh absolutely absolutely like, they, they had their minds you know they had their mind made before they entered that chamber oh completely completely and that the hanging scene for um with john hurt and the way it's done it is so brutal and but it's we, it's very matter of fact oh yeah completely you know completely and like one of the things about this one we talked about i you know mentioned is the lack of like music and the lack of noise yeah, I don't think there was any music at all, was there? At the end, that's it. Towards the end, okay. when, he, when he's walking out to the house, okay. where he's lost everything, when Christy has lost everything and he's walking out to the house. the That scene, though, when he is sat there with those two officers in his final moments, and then the door slams open, the one officer gets up and pulls back a cupboard to reveal almost like a secret door, and then they just tap him on the shoulder and lead him out and the hood is put over his head it's pretty much done in one shot it's almost one sh- it looks like one shot i mean i think there's a cut in there somewhere but it's almost like one shot and then but i i've seen the crime photos of that uh, fake wall where they scratched behind and the guys moving in and they were pretty damn close in the film to how it actually looked well the guy like they who, were the guy who did it was right there on set it's you know it just i i, I this film is a gut punch at times. It is a real gut punch in how real it is. And and if you want to talk about the ending, I love he's just unassuming, watching the water, yeah. standing there. Oh, uh, where's your uh, your working cards? Oh, they haven't come yet. They, you know, they haven't come to me. Yeah. Uh, you're who are you? I'm John Waddington. No, no, no. You're not John Waddington. No. You're John Christie. You know. Take your hat I, off, I, please, sir. T- yeah, take your hat off too. Oh. Yeah, and that gave it away because he knew, and he didn't fight. No, he didn't whimper. He just no. Apparently, it was a very easy. And once he got to the police station, he, you know, he sang like a baby. But he didn't. But I, I was watching uh, one of the documentaries afterwards, and apparently, in there looking in through afterwards, they found a tin, and in this tin were various pieces of pubic hair that he had saved oh. from his various victims that did not match up with people that they had actually found murdered in the house oh. so his his uh abilities as a killer may be more extensive than we realize which is which is terrifying really isn't it and again it I've, goes back you know particularly during the war where people went missing the blitz uh you know the, the significant bombings people you know people, obviously people just disappeared people were incinerated uh, and he was working as a police officer but I don't know about you, that ending of the movie kind of reminded me a little bit of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yes. Yes. Very much. Up yeah. until the point where, where Sutherland screams or whatever, but it's very much of that quiet, unsaid, you know, you're up. Yes. It's that, that sort of like, it is that bittersweet ending, isn't it? That, you yeah. know, you, you never feel like he gets his full comeuppance. You never feel that he gets the full sort of, like, you know, that, that, that sort of moment of, you know, the villain has got it. You know, they've got him, you know, and the police officer that, you you know, like to quote Monty Python, you're fucking nicked, son. They never get that. <laughs> you never get that, that, that. That police officer never gets that. Mo- they never get that moment. You but know? What, what, what made me interesting was the ending was the police officer, at least as it's portrayed in the film, was very matter of fact. He did. You know, like you think a guy would be full of adrenaline and I got 
Yeah. Sir, can you please take off your hat? Yes. And it's... he walks back very calmly. Okay, I'm going to have to take you in. And, you know, and John Christie's like, yeah, okay. You know, like there wasn't a big chase scene across Hyde Park. Or something. No, like, no, 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 no. There's no car chase. There's no gunfight. No, no, uh, there's, there's no, no punch like, up. You would have thought Christie would have had a, a switchblade in his overcoat or something. Nope. Yeah. You're never going to take oh. me alive, copper. Yeah. No. There's none of that. You know, it's, it's, you know, and the way it ends, I think was, and, and the shot, the last shot is of his face. And again, it's the, it's a great close up. It's a, a great, and haunting. Close-up. You yes. watch that in the dark. Like I saw this film when I was a teenager, that yeah. last shot scared me more than any of the killings. Oh, cause completely. you see the, it brought the humanity of the killer to you. Yeah. And I think this, that's the thing with this film is that actually, you know, you, you're not dealing with Michael Myers. You're not dealing no. with Jason. This is not some kind of supernatural being. You know, this no, is this, a... this isn't this isn't poltergeist. No. This isn't the changeling. This no. is someone who could be your neighbor. Yeah, your neighbor. You know, this you know, this could be your postman. This is yeah. you know, this and but it, that evil is front and center. I always, I, I always tell people there isn't a horror movie that scares me, but the news scares me. Oh, God, yeah. And this is way more scary than what, you know, some, you know, watching Michael Ironside kill somebody visiting hours isn't the same no. as watching John Christie knowingly that it could be your neighbor. Like a Peter Sutcliffe. It could be a Jeffrey Dahmer. It could yeah. be a Joe yeah. Blow, Ted, uh, uh, Ted, what's his name? Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah. Could, you know, like it's Joe Blow wearing a suit, walking down the street. Yeah. They say the average person has probably run into serial killers or somebody that's killed somebody in their life and not even known it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it is the, it is the horror in the everyday. And yep. that is, and, and, and that is the sort of, that is the terrifying <laughs> thing for it. I think um, Jason on the, on horror movie podcast always talks about horror in the daylight Yes, broad daylight. Yeah. And and that the scene where um he is murdering um he he's murdering uh, Timothy's wife in broad daylight where people are you know people are carrying out sort of repairs on his house and the daughter Geraldine the baby is in the next door and he just carries he just carries that out that that murder out and then very matter of fact puts her in bed and creates a whole backstory, a whole whole story about why she died. And then sort of all blame, and that scene where he's, him and Hurt are in the kitchen and he blames, he, he manages to convince John Hurt it's his fault. Yeah, and he's he was very good at manipulation. Like, you oh. could tell, you know, like, he knew how to twist the tail to his advantage. Oh, completely, completely. So, for this one, um, what are the what are the high? We know we we we've, we've talked for a good hour now on this. What are the highlights for you in this film? What are the what are the well, we, we mentioned it quite a few, but but what are those key moments that you take away from this? Well, there's a couple that any time he had the woman, and he was having her breathe into the vapor oh. box. Yeah, that will make. I don't care how hardened a horror fan or a criminologist you are. That will make the hair in the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. And you hear that. And then the moment you see, like, I'll give Flesher a lot of credit. He would zoom in on the woman's eyes. 
And there's that moment when she knows this is going too far. And he's not a strong man, but he put enough of his weight into his fore body yes. to put it over her and make sure that she got the uh, the fumes into her. Holy shit. Like that scares. I can only imagine being a woman and that happening. And you'd be scared. For, you're fighting for your life, but you know you're going down and you can't fight off the 60-year-old man who's maybe 140 pounds. Yeah. But, but he's getting it in your... Holy schmoly. And the other thing that holds over me is just the strength of the overall acting. Yeah. Like, like I don't think, I don't understand. I, I, I understand that uh, Hurt was up for a BAFTA. But he won, how ba- this... he won, he won the BAFTA for it. He, he won, the, won BAFTA. the BAFTA? Yeah. yeah he won lead, the BAFTA. lead or support? Um, supporting, best supporting. Supporting. Actor. How did this, how did Attenborough not win? How did this get zero Academy Award uh, consideration? Because it's British, because it's overseas. Maybe it was because it's January and it's the, right at the beginning of the cycle. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, flashy. You know, I, I'll give Fleischer a lot of credit because in real life, he was a sexual. It wasn't just the physical kill. He was, they underplayed that really, really strongly. Yes. yes. And they could have taken this. They could have had him undoing their blouses he could have had them fondling their breasts yeah. he could have had them naked he didn't he literally they're simple frumpy clothing laying on the ground and then wrapped up in a towel or yes. wrapped up in a top of whatever he could have gone a lot of ways and he didn't and yeah. i give him a lot of credit for that it, incre- this is an incredibly restrained film but it's still, like I said, it, it it still delivers on multiple levels, on multiple levels. The the, the heartbreak and the, the visceralness yeah. of the of of the murders in this. Um, like I, I, I consider this a horror film. Oh absolutely. I don't know if there are people out there that'll say, No, no, it's a crime film. No, no, no. It's a, no no no. You sit and watch this in the dark. Oh yeah. And you tell me by the end you aren't even a little bit like holy crap. This yeah. is a horror film, and that that moment in 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 the opening where we get that that sort of you know she's entered she you know essentially you know if if she entered that that woman at the beginning entered into a haunted house and it was a poltergeist or it was whatever in there it was some kind of Lovecraftian tentacle mon- that you know you were in a, a gothic haunted haunted house, but what you have is far more scary because you were there with a real you were there with real evil flesh and blood real evil and the moment one of the moments a little stand up for me is where he's putting the mask on her and he takes the clip off the pipe that's feeding the gas to her and you know she tries to scream and she and that that moment where you know you see the clip that's holding the actual gas on there is just it it, is horrible is or it's just horrible um and horrifying and what's scary about this is, as you alluded to earlier, everybody thinks in, you know, for the countries that won the war afterwards, it was nothing but a big party. Oh. This kind of puts that stark reality back into, you know what, there was an economic depression. You know, people yeah. were depressed. They're hard drinkers. People were just trying to get on with their lives. A lot of these women that he killed were regular homebodies whose husbands or boyfriends died and prostitution was their last resort. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... It's, uh, you know, like, this is the stuff you don't get in your eighth grade textbook, you know? No, like, This no. is the reality of the situation. No, and I think, you know, it's people sort of, 
people mention the poverty of you know London and people talk about the East End and the West End and those kind of but actually when you look at the day-to-day lives of those people and the day-to-day conditions that they would it would just it was it was it was a terrible time it was a difficult time it was a hard time and people like Christie were able to operate operate with almost impunity um and, and just... to think, and to think now that that's Notting Hill—it's a very posh, uppity well, section of now. I mean, people dig a little deep; you'll find a little more than you bargain for. Oh, absolutely! And then, like you—you you look at like you know, when people say Notting Hill, people think Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. Yeah, it, nobody's ever really thinking John Christie, serial <laughs> psycho, so uh, psychopath. It's well, and what I found interesting is when they redevelop that area. They made sure that the street uh, routes didn't go over the exact same street route that Rillington Place did. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you you can't take the 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 Whitechapel tour of of uh, J- Jack the Ripper. Yeah, the same way you can with Rillington Place. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it's you know it is this is a brilliant example of um, a true crime fr- film s- sticking pretty much to the facts being um gritty and dark without ever sort of f- slipping over into theatrical you know the theatric you know the theatrics because this could have quite easily gone hammer horror and it, you know and if it wasn't for the, such the br- a brilliant cast um what's interesting is um Attenborough accepted the role without reading the script yeah, I, I read that, and I and I heard him say something to the effect of, "This isn't my normal type of film." Yeah, you know, but he took it, you know, based on the strength of the story or what have you. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I can only imagine that bro was very much a method actor, so he probably for three weeks consumed. He was John Christie. Yeah, he did it. You know, I, and you know that that that's something that he he is meticulous in his preparation, uh, or was particular, you know, meticulous, and it's it, it's incredible to think that you know. Everybody's favorite cinematic uh, grandfather is, you know, played. And, you know, you, you even look at some of the other villains he played. Um, you look at Pinky in Brighton Rock. Um, just a brilliant film. Brilliant film where he's got the scar and he's, stu- you know, it's just a great, and he's a great villain. Great, great villain. And it's that sort of, I suppose, taking all, you know, when you get that unassuming, nice, you know, niceness, softness to it, taking it and flipping it completely 100 uh, percent on its head and the last sort of point i want to make about the film is you kind of feel not only do you feel and empathize for uh john hurt timothy evans you can almost feel yourself as that character what would you do oh my you're god being, yeah. you're being locked up for murder you didn't do it you thought you were helping your family and next thing you know due to your own simpleness you're being thrown up to a capital crime yeah. What the fuck would you do? You oh, know, just... I, I, you know, yeah, well, like you said, Christie did it. Christie did it. Just... Christie did it. You, you, it's, it's, it's very much, you know, you see his, his eyes, his body. Like, John Hurt, God bless his soul. He, he should have been given more credit than he got. Oh, absolutely. So, here we go. Scores on the doors, my friend. Out of ten, one being the worst, ten being the greatest. Where would you come in on this bad boy? I would give this a ten. Yeah, I would. I would think for a film that's based on reality, it has to have some theatrics of it, or it wouldn't become a film. But I think the sheer 
horror of the actions and how close they came to what was actually documented and the quality of the acting and the production and the sound and the film and the shadows. I pretty much put any crime film up against this one. Oh, absolutely. And it's a 10 for me. It is an absolute 10 out of 10 for me. I'm so glad that we got to talk about it. So I am so glad. Because it's, it's, it's one of those ones that doesn't get, get anywhere near enough love. No, and, and with our good friends over there at Horror uh, Movie Podcast, they, they uh, last year about this time, they put a list of their favorite 70s films, 80s films, 90s films. And mm. I, I submitted my list that I put at number one, 10 Rillington Place for the 70s, because I knew that I wanted to expose it to more people that hadn't seen it. Absolutely. And I think it was uh, Josh, Wolfman Josh hadn't seen it. And I said, see the film. Like everybody needs... I don't know if Dave Becker's seen it. I don't know if Greg Morgan's seen it. I, people across the UK, across Canada, across the US, all across the bloody world need to see this film. Absolutely. 100% there with you. Now, my friend, before we wrap things up, where can the good people find you? Well, they can find me on Land of the Creeps with the wonderful Greg Amortis, Greg Morgan, and Dr. Shock Dave Becker, the Encyclopedia of Knowledge, <laughs> who's for, who has forgotten more about movies than I will ever know. Yes. And then I've been recently now the co-host of The Phantom Galaxy with Nathan Bartlebaugh, where we look at horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and the music, the movies, and the books of all those genres. So give Phantom Galaxy and Land of the Creeps. I'm sure that my good friend Hugh here will put the links. And you guys can check me out. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Letterboxd. Give me a shout. I won't bite. But I may critique your grammar because I am a school teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, my friend, thank you so much for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And you you have an open invitation to come back anytime you want. Anytime at all. One thing I love about Hugh is there's a five-hour time difference. And I'll be watching some obscure movie at one in the morning. He'll just be waking up. It's about seven. He'll be drinking his coffee. (laughs) He'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Or, no, I got to get to that. So (laughs) I cherish your friendship. And uh, the next time something comes up, don't be afraid to give me a shout. Absolutely, my brother. Bill, you take care, man. And I will speak to you soon. As always, I want to say a big thank you to Bill for being on and just being an awesome, awesome guest. And I can't wait for you to come back on, man. Now, it's time for What the Wookiee Watched. And first up, we have got The Babysitter, Killer Queen from 2020. Let's check out the trailer. Growing up is worse than a near-death experience. I can confidently tell you that because two years ago... My babysitter and her friends tried to kill me. The worst part is nobody believes me. And now everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I miss her. You're a weird little dude with a crush on a murderous, fictitious babysitter. We just gotta get you laid. That's your advice? That's what the f*** just came out of my mouth, ain't it? Cole, you're my best friend. You're not crazy. It's this place. We're all going to the lake this weekend. Just come with me. I already took my dad's car. It's just you and me. We're back! Let's go, Cole! You okay? You look like you've seen a gorgeous black ghost. 
I'm good. Where's Sonia? Getting cookies. I watched you all die. We are dead. Duh. Clearly, you guys are into some heavy cosplay. Just leave it be. Ow! Oh, yes! oh shit! Oh no! It's all gonna get done again. Update me on the Psycho Breakfast Club. Basically, they were blood cold, and they made a deal with the devil. And they only have three hours to complete the ritual. We could hide out till sunrise. We finish this, we have to go back down to limbo. this night get any more erotic? Hey, Coley. You're my killer of the night. I get killed first. That's some post-Jordan Peele era horror movie progress. Okay, that was the trailer for The Babysitter, Killer Queen. Uh, this was directed by McGee. It was written by Dan Lagana, Brad Morris, Jimmy Warden and McGee. Um, based on Brian Duffield's characters, stars Judah Lewis, Emily Ann Lynn, Jenny Ortega, Robbie Amell, Andrew Batchelor, Leslie Bibb, Hannah Mae Lee, Bella Thorne, Samara Weaving, Ken Marino and uh, a whole host of others. Um, this is the direct sequel to The Babysitter from 2017. Um, lots of the original cast returned for this one. And, and it continues the story of Cole Johnson, who is now in his junior year of high school. And sadly, following the events of the first film, nobody believes him, including his own parents. They all think he's gone insane. And once again, he has to fight for his very life against demonic forces, both old and new. Um, I really liked the original and um, never been a massive fan of McGee's work. I think it's always been all fur coat and no knickers. But um, the, the the original babysitter kind of surprised me. And I really liked the characters. I thought Judah Lewis was superb in it. He's very good in this one. Um, and I thought Emily Ann Lind was, Alan Lynn was superb um, in the first one. She is desperately desperately underused in this and you get the feeling she is back by contractual obligation um the balance of horror and comedy and gore on this one um is isn't quite right um this feels massively rushed at times um it, it's very very frenetic um the characters don't have the same kind of appeal as the first film and they come across as sort of uh, lazy rehashes um, that's not to say that the, the actors performances aren't good they're okay uh, I think they're working with poor uh, material um, and this one for me this is a this is a five out of ten um, it's okay if you're you know just looking for something to throw on and just kind of have on in the background or not pay a massive amount of attention to you it's available on Netflix yeah, a bit disappointed with this one, so that was a uh, 5 out of 10. Okay, up next, we have got Ready or Not from 2019. Let's check out the trailer. We're going to start the count. Good luck. I can't 
believe that in half an hour, I will be a part of the Ladomus Gaming Dynasty Empire. Uh, Dominion, we prefer Dominion. I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family. There's just one more thing. And then you are officially part of the family. So at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? You shot the maid. Does she look like she's wearing a giant white wedding dress? Emily? <laughs> Holy shit! I had to play along so that I can get you out. It's insane. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. Or something very bad will happen to the family. If we don't find her and perform the ritual, we're all dead. Found her. video is called Getting to Know Your Crossbow. I forgot my gun. Why don't you just use mine? Mr. Lodomus, I just saw her running. Oh my god! You're just another sacrifice. Do you think this is a fucking game? Yes, I didn't see. Remember? He wanted to get married. Someone's no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, that was the trailer for Ready or Not from 2019. This was directed by Matt uh, Bettinelli-Olfin and Tyler Gillett. It was written by Guy Busick, our Christopher Murphy. Uh, it stars, once again, we've got a bit of a Samara weaving double bill here, Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, Henry Cassini, and Andy McDowell. I have to be perfectly honest with you, I love this film. Um, it is dark, it is funny, um, it has incredibly tense moments. Um, this is a great film. Essentially, what we have here is Samara Weaving uh, plays a newlywed who is hunted as part of a family initiation on her wedding night. This is, um, like I said, this is dark. It is funny. Um, it's got a great cast. Samara Weaving is absolutely superb. Uh, in the role, uh, in her role here, she um, essentially is um, the final girl. Um, however, there is something about she's in, takes in, the character takes an absolute beating and just keeps going. It is very, very, very brutal at times. Um, let's just say there's there's a scene with um, a nail through the hand, which is just eye watering. Um, but her performance is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and I loved it. Andy McDowell is fantastic as the sneering evil uh, 
mother-in-law. Um, she's brilliant. there, And she's just, there is something deeply unsettling about her. In fact, the entire family are deeply unsettling. Um, there's some great performances in this film um, from all the cast. I really, really loved it. Um, it's available on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, of course, you, I think it's also available on Sky Television if you are in the UK. And for me... This is an 8 out of 10. I thought it was fantastic and I cannot recommend it enough. So, ladies and gentlemen, before I go, I have got some uh, some, some really fabulous news. School Hall Slaughter, the short film, has been selected um, as part to be screened as part of the Horror on Sea Film Festival. I know! I'm amazed! I couldn't get over it. I'm just shocked to my very core. Um, so we're going to be part of the festival. So if you're going to be attending the Horror on Sea Festival, hope to see you guys there. Fingers crossed and COVID-19 disappearing, which I doubt it, but fingers crossed, eh? Also, Black Phantom, the awesome Italian metal band, are on board to provide the title track, The Road, um, for School Hall Slaughter, the feature. So I'm very, very excited. And I've got some more... Uh, cast announcements coming up and some more information um, about the feature film in a little while. But now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for us to say goodbye. So all that is left for me to say is wash your hands, wear your mask, keep socially distancing, be kind to each other, love one another, and in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there. Whatever you are.